when you're a veteran team, like I think the Saints are, when you're talking about Derek Carr and Cam Jordan and, you know, Demario Davis and Alvin Kamara, these are veteran guys. And you miss the playoffs in a field of a wide open NFC and there's seven teams that make it and you miss it for the second straight year. It's it's not shocking to me that Dennis Allen's back, but like, all right, we're going to run it back again. Let's go. And if that's the case, like, okay, that I don't know if that's the best course for any team, but sounds like Dennis Allen's coming back. Their car's coming back. And it doesn't sound like Jordan and Davis and those guys need to retire anytime soon. Hell, they brought Jimmy Graham back this year. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman, and we have a loaded Thursday show for you. Would have been true anyway, but even as we record here, we have some extra news. That's the nature of this time of year. The divisional playoffs are on the horizon. The coaching carousel continues to turn. Today, we actually, we have two guests. We got our usual chat with Peter Schrager, NFL on Fox Insider. Also got an all-pro on the show. Bears cornerback Jalen Johnson joined me in studio to talk about his fantastic season, where things are going with his contract, the Chicago Bears, all that good stuff. Please, 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 as you will see in a second, keep track with everything that is going on in the NFL during this hectic time of year. Go find us on Spotify Go download the show on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Go find our YouTube channel. It's the time of year where you don't want to miss anything. As evidenced by the special circumstances today, literally as we're wrapping the show, word comes down. We'll call it semi-news. The Dallas Cowboys are not making a head coaching change. They made it clear on Wednesday night they will be retaining head coach Mike McCarthy after that incredibly disappointing playoff loss to the Green Bay Packers on Sunday evening. Like I said, it's it's semi-news because Mike McCarthy is still under contract. He's got one year left on his deal. I guess the Cowboys didn't have to make an announcement about keeping a head coach, but it speaks to the depth of their failure that this is worth announcing because there was a lot of speculation that losing 48-32 to the Packers might cost Mike McCarthy his job. Clearly, that's not the case. The Cowboys opting for continuity. I guess they're going to run it back, which, you know, as I sit here digesting the news myself, I, I get the argument on each side. The Cowboys trail only the Kansas City Chiefs for regular season wins over the last three years. And yet, I can hear Cowboy fans yelling at me right now, who cares? One playoff win to show for it. Three straight playoff appearances bounced unceremoniously as a home team in 2021. The only home team to lose on wildcard weekend back then. The one playoff win comes against a team with an 8-9 record. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers bounced unceremoniously on Sunday. The only home team to lose a wildcard game this year as well. So the playoff bona fides. Embarrassing. I don't think that's a stretch. I don't think that's overly mean, but the continuity of keeping that coaching staff in place, clearly valuable to the Cowboys. They're going to give Mike McCarthy one last go at it and see how, how he does before we talk about an extension would be my guess. 
My immediate thought here is just what this means for the rest of the coaching staff. Defensive coordinator Dan Quinn is already taking head coaching interviews. I believe he did a virtual interview with the Carolina Panthers this week. He has other ones lined up. He's threatened to take head coaching jobs in the past two cycles before this. The way his defense kind of finished this season makes you wonder how hot of a commodity he is. Will he be gone because he takes a head coaching job? Will he be gone because the Cowboys need something new after that performance against the Packers? I don't know. I'm curious to see what changes the Cowboys feel like they need to make. I've got to believe something comes of such a disheartening setback, we'll call it. It's not going to be Mike McCarthy, though. So we can get into more of this when it's not freshly breaking news. Cowboys have have so much stuff to figure out, whether it's signing Micah Parsons and CeeDee Lamb for the long term, whether it's figuring out the mess that is Dak Prescott's contract situation. It's going to be a fascinating offseason. And if I had to guess, it's going to be a grumpy offseason as Cowboy fans cope with a team that just can't find a way to get it done, but is going to keep plugging away at least into 2024. We'll see how it goes. All right. Like I said, we we can get more in-depth there as we need to later. Fittingly enough, on a couple of fronts, this was such a controversial situation that it 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 was worth talking about with Peter Schrager. And sure enough, it was it was out of date. We recorded this earlier on Wednesday. It's the second straight week, as I'm gonna talk about with Peter. You'll see. You got to be careful recording things ahead of time during coaching search season. We didn't know McCarthy would be retained at the time. I still think some interesting stuff to talk about there, as we did with Peter, again, about Dan Quinn, about what happens in Dallas and what the mood is there. We also talked about the situation in Philadelphia with Nick Sirianni. So plenty of good stuff to get from this conversation with Peter. The cheat sheet presented by Honda also talked about staff changes in New Orleans, the offensive coordinator on his way out there. Lot to get to in this week's cheat sheet with Honda with Peter Schrager, other than the Dallas Cowboys coaching situation. Go ahead and check that out. Well, Peter, last week you and I missed the craziest coaching day I can remember by like an hour, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think you know, we we recorded and then the Pete Carroll news comes, the Nick Saban news comes, there's Belichick thrown in there somewhere. So rather than learn my lesson about the perils of podcasting, I'm just going to, I'm going to dive right back into it. We'll see how well it, what are are we here for? Of course, let's speculate and go nuts and then have to pretend that we never said what we said 10 minutes ago. Let's go. So as, as we record right now, nothing has happened with either of the jobs in the NFC East and maybe nothing will happen, but I mean, for starters, I want to talk about whether that could happen, whether it should happen, and how we got here in the first place that these two juggernaut teams, the Eagles and the Cowboys, over the last couple seasons are now potentially, at least, in transition. There's a team in the NFC South currently still playing, and there's a team in the AFC South currently still playing, but no one from the NFC East, the conference that we dubbed the the, the one with the two biggest heavyweights, are playing. It's crazy. Uh, look, Sunday was a worst night, a worst nightmare scenario for Dallas, where you have a great regular season, you win 16 straight home games, going back to last year, you get the home playoff game like you needed, you get the two C like you needed, you get an upstart team that's never been in a playoff game before. 
and they absolutely kick your ass on national television for 40 million Americans to watch inside, outside, up and down the field. And it's hard to say after a third straight 12 win season that, okay, but next year, if you bring Mike McCarthy back next year, things are going to end differently. Uh, Look, Jerry Jones is 81 years old. He's not getting any younger. Um, I think he wants to see a Super Bowl championship. I I think there's an urgency on his part. But here we are. You and I are recording on Wednesday. And status quo, Mike McCarthy is still employed by the Dallas Cowboys. I would love to be a fly on the wall in these meetings. And I remember this weirdly this is this is strangely normal for dallas like when when mike mccarthy came in they just kind of let jason garrett twist in the wind for almost a week i think before they finally made a new hire so like it's not weird to me that a few days have gone by but i would love to be a fly on the wall in these meetings like is is mike mccarthy gonna have to sell jerry jones that this really can be different and and is that something Jerry Jones should buy. I actually, I wrote about it for Fox sports today of like, man, this, this really felt like your last best chance, not to say obviously crazy stuff can happen, but Dak is going to get more expensive. You got to pay Micah. You got to pay pay you got, I mean, you're talking about handing out two 30 plus million dollar salary contracts. You're talking about, Again, how much does the quarterback deal cripple this? Is the quarterback worth extending? Hey, and, got- and, and Dave, look at the rest of the NFC. This was the year, dude. This was the year. The NFC is like what we're talking about Tampa and Detroit and like these young upstart teams and obviously Green Bay. But then like San Francisco is a power. And but you're telling me you're the number two seed and all these other neophyte teams are in there and you're the ones who have the playoff experience and you guys go year after year to not make it out of the wild card round is devastation. And I think Belichick's one route, Frabel's another route. I think, you know, I said maybe a little stupidly and naively last week that, you know, in owner circles, and I like to think I operate a little bit in these and I kind of know what's inside the walls of these owners meetings and these conversations. Cause I've got some good sources. Belichick and Kraft are, have been one and one a for years, as far as leak business goes and initiatives and sometimes the loudest rooms in the uh, loudest voices in the room. And I thought maybe there's honor amongst thieves, if you will. And that, you know, it wouldn't be in Jerry Jones's, best you know maybe you don't take belichick after that and maybe it's hey we're, we're we respect each other too much i can go a different option i'm not gonna and then a million people after i said that on air were like are you crazy like all jerry cares about is finally getting that ring and finally being able to say you know that he did it without jimmy johnson and barry switzer that he was able to do it with a new crop and if that's the case, then Belichick makes a lot of sense to me. It's not like Jerry's going to suddenly be a you know wallflower and you know wilt in front of Jer- in front of Belichick. I think he would want that opportunity. And Belichick knows what he's getting if he goes to Dallas with twenty four different years of being a head coach and being at owners' meetings and interacting with you know league officials. But as we record this today, that that job is not vacant. That job is currently owned by Mike McCarthy, who has another year left on his contract. There's a couple things, and yeah, I'm I'm recklessly speculating. It's whatever. If the Cowboys are going to draw it out all week, then at, then I'm just gonna I'm gonna take what what I can get out of it. There's a couple things about Belichick that I find fascinating, and not in a great way. Number one, from like 04 onward, Belichick, like I mean, he called every shot in New England. He was coach, personnel department, roster decisions. 
that's actually something the Cowboys do really well. Like the operation that they have with Will McClay, their mm-hmm. draft process, like is, is Belichick cool giving up the amount of control that he had in new England? Cause I would say he's going to have to with a yeah. personality like Jerry Jones. And then the other thing is, and Mike McCarthy has been dealing with this for four years now, by the way, is, is Belichick cool working with an owner and a GM who's going to go on the radio on a Tuesday before his news conference or on a Friday before his news conference and say, yeah, this guy's up, this guy's down. This is what we're thinking. Like I just, the, the news cycle in Dallas seems like it would drive Bill Belichick. Absolutely crazy. Brother. How about after a loss on a Sunday in a gaggle of reporters (laughs) and holding his own press conference every single game, that would drive Belichick crazy, but you know what? You're not employed by anybody, and if this is the opportunity that sings to you and you want to get to that record, like you got to give a little bit also. You've got to maybe bend in your way. Um, I asked a very respected NFL source, someone who runs another team, and this might be really insulting to folks in Philadelphia. I said, which job is actually more desirable if Sirianni does suffer that fate? He said, you look at the rosters right now, ownership group aside, GM aside, all that stuff aside, Dallas can draft. Dallas is deep as hell. Dallas finds these day three guys. Dallas has a find the way. Dallas's roster is as good as any in the league. Phillies, a lot of veterans, a lot of bloated salaries, salary cap hell, some swings and misses in the late rounds, some also some guys who were taken in the first round that haven't necessarily flourished in the last few years. Um, really interesting to debate the two, and yet neither job is vacant at the moment. That Yeah, and that's the other one that I wanted to talk about is obviously Nick Sirianni. The, you know, and the drama in Philly is fantastic because the the report, I respect the Philly beat so much oh, for the way man. that they're, they're going to try to get to the bottom of things, talking about, you know, the report that Jalen Hurts is out on Sirianni and Jalen Hurts' endorsement of Sirianni after the loss to Tampa wasn't strong enough which I'm just kind of like, I mean, what do you want the guy to do after his season just ended? I like, does his body language have to be fantastic when he's answering questions after an embarrassing loss? I don't know, but it is, it's just staggering to think of how quickly this all fell apart. And when you think about the success that Philly's former coordinators are having Shane Steichen and, and Jonathan Gannon in Arizona as well, I don't, I'm not going to advocate for a guy to get fired, but yeah, like what, what answer is Nick Sirianni going to come up with about how he's going to get this thing back on the tracks if he does stay? I I coached in the Super Bowl last year, guys. (laughs) I was in the Super Bowl last year, guys. The, and you know, Hertz did have a statement about Sirianni supporting him. I think AJ Brown was very vocal the week before, uh, when they asked him about it, he was like, it's not on Brian Johnson. It's not on Nick. It's on the players. It, it's us. Uh, but yeah, that, that's all legit. Look, they fired or relocated or displaced a defensive coordinator when they were 10 and one this year. You want to talk about a pressure cooker 10 and one. They said, Sean Desai, you're not doing good enough. 10 and one. So the pressure in Philly is unlike anywhere else right now because they look at their team as Super Bowl champions and they just got embarrassed on national TV, 32 to nine to a Baker Mayfield led Buccaneers team. Which speaking of just briefly, I, I I like to take the victory laps when we can get them. I remember doing, you had Jason light on your podcast, like way back in week five, probably. 
And it looked for all the world like they were going to fade. You know, they went from three and one yes. to four and six. Like it was like, oh, maybe we got too high on the Bucks too soon. And now they're in the divisional round. That is, I mean, we can doom and gloom about the disappointing teams in the league all we want. But I do think that is that is you such know what's a crazy? story. They had an early, I think, week four bye, and they had just won a big game. And Baker was on game day, and I had Jason Light on my podcast, and it was like the they they didn't they didn't shy away from the cameras. And then they lost five of six, and it was like, yep, there's your lesson. Don't don't crown yourselves in week four. And then they turned it around, and they lost a bad one against the Saints a couple of weeks ago. Which and then they beat the Panthers, and then they had a really great win against the Eagles. Uh, they're big underdogs in Detroit. That's gonna be a really hostile crowd. I kind of like Detroit in that game. I would say it like it is. I think Detroit's going to take care of business in the divisional round, but like this season in itself has already been a success in Tampa where I think nobody had him going to the final eight. I don't know how many people picked him to win the NFC South. Let nobody, alone nobody in a playoff game. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were at the best, best case scenario. They were a sacrificial lamb, you know? Okay, cool. You host a wild card game that you'll lose to Philly or Dallas. Oops. <laughs> yeah. No, I remember they did joint practices with the Jets this year up in New York before their preseason game. And then the Jets, I want to say canceled or Sala canceled the second day of practice. It was like, I think we got and like, I remember the fact that Tampa was up in New Jersey for like six days. I'm like, oh, like I, it just doesn't feel like this is a team that's like Super Bowl bound by any means. Like it just doesn't, it wasn't perfect. Uh, and Baker was battling Kyle Trask and we had so many questions about Mike Evans's contract. And that just goes to show you, you don't know what's going on in August or early September until these guys take the field and they start believing and they start playing. Because I think if you were to ask me, you know, give me coaches on the hot seat a couple months ago, I would have said Todd Bowles. Absolutely not right now. That guy's the real deal. Todd Bowles would have been the favorite to be the first coach fired in a lot of sports books yeah. or, or wherever you want to talk about it, which and I, I remember we talked about this as well. Like, I mean, clearly Baker Mayfield has earned a larger contract than the one that he signed to get to Tampa Bay. But I'm going to be so curious to see how the Bucks spin this forward. I mean, like what what is a number that works for Baker? I think it's actually it's so fitting that him and Jared Goff are playing this game against each other. Like obviously two former number one picks that resuscitated their careers, but also I think the contract is a big part of that as well. Like it's easier mm -hmm. to put a good team around Jared Goff at the number he was. How high of a number do you have to get to with Baker Mayfield where you're not disrespecting him, but it's like, Hey man, I don't know if you can be the centerpiece of this roster totally. either. So Baker makes $4 million this year. So he wins. I think he makes $250,000 every win in the playoffs, which is awesome for him. Um, the question is like, if Baker's a free agent, all right, are we talking 15, 20, 25? Does Baker get 30 on the market? Like it is wide open and that's going to leave that to his agent and him. But the more he plays and the more he wins, the better his, uh, his, his number goes up. We'll stick it in the NFC South for a minute, just since we're already there. I I did, you know, it's noteworthy. The New Orleans Saints parted ways with uh, long, oh long time yeah. Pete, uh, OC Pete Carmichael, as well as some other assistants. I think the thing that stands out for me here, well, first of all, as, uh, as an NFL insider, you want to take a bet with me of, uh, you know, what are the odds that P Mark, Pete, Pete Carmichael resurfaces in Denver, Colorado. Yeah, well, there's him will be with Mike Westoff and all the other Saints uh, guys that you know. Quietly, Sean Payton will assemble on his roster of coaches. I'm sure. It, it feels it feels written in the stars, but it's interesting 
because like this whole time since Sean left New Orleans, it feels like the Saints have just kind of tried to like follow the book of Sean. Like what would Sean do? What yeah. who who would he have? What would he call? And this feels like the first big departure from that. I totally understand why uh, because of the way the offense underperformed, but it does make me wonder what direction they try to go in. You're hearing rumors about John Gruden that Mickey Loomis did not really want to address in his press conference at the end of the season. I just, yeah, like I said, I, I, I wonder where it goes. I wonder how vastly they kind of departure from that Sean Payton tree way of doing things, however you want to classify it. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Ireland interviewed for the Chargers job today. He was a big Sean Payton lieutenant. You know, the, the GM is still Mickey Loomis, who I believe is the longest tenured GM in football right now. And I think that would make sense. Uh, and you still have a lot of those core guys on that team. Now, look, when you're a veteran team, like I think the Saints are, when you're talking about Derek Carr and Cam Jordan and, you know, Demario Davis and Alvin Kamara, these are veteran guys. And you miss the playoffs in a field of a wide open NFC. And there's seven teams that make it and you miss it for the second straight year. It's, it's not shocking to me that Dennis Allen's back, but like, all right, we're going to run it back again. Let's go. And if that's the case, like, okay, that I don't know if that's the best course for any team, but Sounds like Dennis Allen's coming back. Their car's coming back. And it doesn't sound like Jordan and Davis and those guys need to retire anytime soon. Hell, they brought Jimmy Graham back this year. So they're not the youngest team in the league. Their salary cap is not ideal, but it sounds like they like what they have in-house. In You've just a team that just has quietly, steadily done the same thing for the better part of 20 years. And for the most part, it's worked. But again, like the further you get away from the glow of Sean Payton's tenure, which I'm guessing Saints fans would probably tell you that glow is long gone, but yes. the further you get from that, I just wonder. And yeah, like I, I think they can get away with it this year. They did finish with a winning record, et cetera. Sure. And you can't, you can't get away from Derek Carr anyway, but uh, I wonder, I wonder how long until they have to be more bold than, than that strategy, which you typically associate with a team that's in the playoffs year after year after year. And that's just not the case with the saints recently. No. And if anything, I respect the loyalty to their people that like, that's, you know, you know, that building, that, that building's us against the world. Always. They always feel like they're being slighted by either the league or the rest of the fans or in the league. And it's always that city. It's new Orleans versus everybody. So they're sticking with their guys, but you know, saints fans, they're, they're looking maybe over the other shoulder and saying, what else is out there, but that's not going to be the case. Finish it up with this, which, Jason Kelsey did uh he did take to his podcast that he and Travis do to say you know he hasn't made a decision on his retirement obviously the reports are out there I'm totally on board with letting him make the announcement himself I don't have to retire him but I'm just curious uh for as long as you've done this do do you have a Jason Kelsey story it's he's one of those players where it seems like everybody that's been in this league long enough has a good one about him. Yeah. Look, he's a great quote. He's a sweetheart. I'm going to go as recent as a couple months ago. They recorded a Christmas album during the season, their second straight Christmas album. And Connor Barwin, who's a former player and was former with the Eagles and now is in the Eagles front office, kind of was the point person on putting it all together. And what I loved was talk to Connor about it. I'm like, how'd it go? And he's like, you know, it was the middle of the summer and I get a call from Jason Kelsey saying, you know what? 
I think I just wrote a Christmas carol on my own. And Connor was like, you what? It's the middle of the summer. Like, they're, they're, it's like, what? what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, look, here's, here's the story behind it. It's kind of like, you know, Santa's got it pretty tough. He's got to go to all these different houses. He can't really sit back and enjoy Christmas himself. Santa's always working. He's on the road during Christmas. Like, and I kind of feel that as a football player during the holidays that, you know, it's the same kind of thing. I've got young kids and I just got to provide and got to earn and got to do my job so everyone else can enjoy their holidays. And I'm going to be performing on Christmas this year. It's like, I kind of want to write a Christmas carol about Santa's night and what Santa has. And, and Connor's like, okay, like you want to write it? He's like, yeah, I kind of got the lyrics too. And I'm like, <laughs> and, and Connor's like, okay, like, all right. He's like, and, and how about the music? He's like, kind of have an idea for how it's going to go. And like Jason Kelsey came in and laid down a track. And I want to say it was with the guys uh, uh, from the war on drugs. They were the producers of it and they put it together. And that's a rock band from Philly. And they put together a beautiful Christmas song. And it was like written by Jason Kelsey performed by Jason Kelsey. And to me, that's one of those deals where it's like when you're in the league long enough and you've got enough interest out of football, like you kind of showcase those skills at some point. And to me, the fact it wasn't very highly publicized that he penned and wrote and performed his own Christmas carol, like an original, uh, pretty different guy, Jason Kelsey, and a guy who's got interests outside of just smashing his head into other football players. That's, I've heard the first album. Like, I know he can sing. I didn't know he wrote that. And I sure as hell didn't know he worked with the war on drugs, which is yep. incredible. Well, I mean, yep. I listen called, to their I think stuff I when call, I write all the time. I think it's called Santa's Night. And I could be wrong on that, but I think it's called Santa's Night. And it's uh, he wrote it. It's all. I mean, the dude's a six-time first-team All-Pro, <laughs> and if if this is it, and honestly, if he decides he wants to run it back, I would get that too. But if this is it, like the dude, the dude could go into half a dozen different careers. I wouldn't We're, be surprised if he's joining us in the media ranks. Oh, either. that'll happen. You're you're a reporter at heart. What? Where do you stand on longtime veteran player, and then? reporters whether it be adam schefter or mike garofolo being the ones to say hey he told his teammates he's hanging it up as opposed to player getting his own instagram post today like injuries free agency even god forbid i say this even you know players and and ex-players passing i understand but like the retirement thing where do you stand that because brady we went through the whole thing with jeff darlington yeah. and adam chef we went through it there as well like where do you stand journalistically on letting the player be the one to announce it or to have a press conference etc shoot i mean journalistically i can think of my crusty old professors who would say like the news is the news and it's Agreed. not your job to worry Agreed. about that but, but like and there's so many there are so many blurred lines these days uh, like personally and I mean, I went to journalism school. I've been doing this for more than 10 years, but like, I don't think it's necessary in this specific instance. Like if it's a trade, if it's an arrest, oh, of if course. it's all that, I get it. You got to do what you got to do. But like this, this really, I mean, sure. Does it have an impact on the organization? Does it have an impact on the league? Of course it does. But like, is it going to change a whole lot if it comes from Jason Kelsey 10 days from now instead of Adam Schefter that night? I just, I don't think so. Uh, and so like, I can't really get mad at the reporter. Yeah, you like, can't I, get I, it. No one's mad at Schefter. But I also think from the player standpoint, it's probably like, ah, I, I, I mean for, and especially, you know, 
for a long time legend like like Kelsey or like Tom Brady where your retirement is going to be headline news, then I mean, let the guy do it. If it's a lot of times, you know, lesser players will like tell Schefter like, hey, I'm retiring. And, you know, maybe that way you can drum up a little more notoriety for there it. Was so- a, there was a safety, Mike Adams, who is from Patterson, New Jersey, played in the league for like the Colts for many, many years, would come on Good Morning Football time to time. And then out of nowhere, one day I get like a direct message from him and he's like, uh, I'm thinking I'm going to hang him up. Do you want to report it? I'm like, yeah, I'll report it. Like, it's like, totally, it's great, but it's like, it comes from the player. I, yeah, look, I, again, Garofolo and Schefter, they're in a different uh, world than us and every scoop matters. So I'm not going to say they did anything wrong here, but it's just interesting that the guy goes on his podcast the next day and he's like, I'm not sure it's official yet. And you're like, well, is it, or is it not? And, oh, here we go. <laughs> but I also, yeah, and I remember it was either last year or the year before that, like, cause I, you know, Kelsey's one of those guys that retirement rumors have been following him for like three or four years now. And he had a year where in like February, he just, he recorded a video of him like shotgunning a beer and was like, I'm back baby or something like, and like, you know, maybe, maybe in, in mid February when his body's in less pain, he'll be more on board. So I get that maybe he doesn't have an answer right now. Um, I hey, do if, based if on the not, way he was crying on Monday yeah. night, I do think he's probably retiring, but that's for him to decide. And I don't know anything about anything. I really don't. But I think the second he does step away, uh, his podcast is still number one. His brother is still dating Taylor Swift. He's still going to have all sorts of commercials. And to your point, whether it's Amazon or CBS or Fox throws him in their number two or number three booth, whatever it is. Uh, we're on a studio show. I, I think there's a job waiting for Jason Kelsey. And that's pretty rare for an offensive lineman to have a line of suitors oh. for his business. Can you like it's such it's such an incredible glow up, right? Like Jason and Travis were both headed to the Hall of Fame before they totally. even got before they even got the idea to do a podcast, before they ever played in a Super Bowl, before Travis ever talked to Taylor Swift. And yet they still glue up this past like 18 months by a solid thousand percent. Like it's, it's unbelievable how big they already were and how much bigger they are now. It's, I mean, there was a great meme uh, and it was, or maybe it was a tweet. It was a Taylor Swift fan. And she said, uh, I don't even know. I didn't even know who this person was three months ago. And I'm crying over the mic'd up of Jason Kelsey, just because I love him because of his podcast with Travis. I'm like, it's too funny. It's great. And household, household name. There's a there's a natural tendency to like get tired of people that are in the spotlight for that long, but I don't feel that way about either. No, Kelsey I'm, brother. I'm not fatigued by either one of them either. I think that's that's real. And sometimes with people that we know, it's a little bit much. It's like, all right, I could do without, you know, I unfollow or I mute on social right. media. I don't do that with these guys. No. Bring it on, Jason. What if you want to play, cool. If you want to do something else, I will be there to to watch that too. Uh all right, cool. We'll see how well this coaching conversation ages hopefully a little bit better than it did last week peter as always i appreciate the time man i'll check in with you soon you're the best dude thank you thanks as always to peter and thanks again to our next interview as i promised had a chance to talk to bears cornerback jalen johnson about his all pro season about where things stand with his contract negotiations with the chicago bears where that's going not to mention the choice that awaits the bears this offseason Do you stick with Justin Fields? Do you pursue a quarterback in the NFL draft? Got into all of that and a little bit more. 
Check it out. All right, we don't get a lot of in-studio guests on the show. It's a lot of Zoom calls, so it's nice to have somebody here in person. And on top of that, it's an all-pro, all-pro cornerback Jalen Johnson. For starters, how's how's that feel? How's how's that phrase feel, all-pro? I'm still adjusting to that. Honestly, I mean, it sounds pretty dang good. Honestly, I mean, the Pro Bowl, that one sounded good for a little bit. People call me Pro Bowl J, but now the all-pro J, that sound, sounds pretty good. So I, I love it when this happens for a younger mm-hmm. player like, Let's be real. Cornerback, you spend so much time off the TV screen. Right, no like doubt. If, if you're not getting a ton of picks, and you have four, it's not like mm-hmm. you didn't have any, but if you're not getting a ton of picks, sometimes that can go unrecognized. Right. So how, how much does it mean to you that in a position where it can be hard to break in, people, people saw what you did this year? Honestly, it means a lot because, I mean, like you said, honestly, just keeping your head down and just working, I think, too, it's not – it's not entertaining for people to see somebody stopping somebody from catching touchdowns or catching the passes. I mean, you kind of always root for the offense. I mean, kind of being that guy that people recognize and see the actual skill and talent and the hard work that's been put in definitely feels good um, to do it. I think also, too, just being able to be consistent throughout my career and my coverage being consistent and really not being the guy that you see being on the wrong side of the highlights. Um, so, I mean, just taking all that in and just getting the recognition and respect for my peers amongst the league and just my coaches, the facility, everybody in the building, just really knowing and recognizing my hard work. I think all that goes and feels really good. That's a stat I know, you know, I assume cornerbacks keep track of that. Mm-hmm. Like, you keep track of the list of guys that catch touchdowns on you, and yeah, how much does that sure. fuel you to, like, yeah, like, stay off a of sports center? I mean, you know it's kind of what, what goes on. Even if it's not your fault, if you're the closest defender to the right. touchdown, most people are going to say it's your fault. But, I mean, I know for me it's definitely something that, motivates me is like guys just aren't going to have their highlight days uh, on the on the times that I'm guarding them or the games that I'm going to be matched up against them so just really going in and just trying to limit as much production as I can I mean I I have a hard time just letting anybody catch the ball itself so better better yet a touchdown so let's talk about this Bears defense in general I know y'all y'all mm-hmm. didn't make the playoffs I get that's the ultimate goal but it's easy to forget about what y'all went through this year right, no doubt lose your DC like basically at the start of the mm-hmm. season Rough, rough start, right. one and five, 27 points per game allowed. And then the second half of the season, y'all just completely turned it on. 17 points per game allowed. Go on a little winning streak. Mm-hmm. Montez Sweat shows up, Tyreek right. Stevenson on the other side of the secondary. Like, what do you what do you attribute to that turnaround? And and what was the key to y'all moving past the way the season started? Honestly, I think just the leaders just keeping keeping everybody on the boat. I think a lot of times in situations like that, people want to start jumping off the boat. But I think really just keeping our heads down. And then, too, I think we weren't we weren't a healthy defense. We had a lot of injuries. Eddie Jackson was hurt early. Kyler Gordon was hurt early. And then, of course, coming in, you mentioned Tariq, him coming in, being a young corner, rookie corner. It's a lot to develop. It's a lot to kind of try to keep together. But I think we got healthy and we stood, stood together. And I think, of course, Adam Montez Sweat definitely helped in gave us a lot more feel and kind of re- sparked us, gave us something new. Um, and then I think really just everybody coming together and just really taking pride. And we knew we had a talented a talented group on defense, but we didn't, we weren't able to put it together. So honestly, just putting our foot down and just staying together and just honestly just going out there and trying to dominate best we can on that back half of the year. How rewarding is it when like the work that you're doing starts paying off, you know, like I, I just can't imagine it's easy to to grind when when the when the losses are piling up like that. Like, how rewarding is it to kind of feel it flip? 
I would say definitely very rewarding. I think that's why you that's why you work hard. I think it's just to increase your chances of success. And I think too, I mean, hard work doesn't guarantee you anything, but I know if you don't work hard, the chances that you getting it aren't really in your favor. So I think just for us, just continue to work hard, continue to stay committed to the process, stay committed to growing with each other, loving each other. And then, I mean, as we're able to see in that back half of the season, we're able to be special. All right. I can't bury the lead anymore. Obviously, <laughs> let's talk about it. <laughs> you timed an all pro season incredibly yeah. well as your rookie contract comes to an end. The quote from Bears GM Ryan mm-hmm. Poles is Jalen's not going to go anywhere no and we'll work through it to get something done. It's it, this has got to be kind of a weird time for you, right? I mean, what, what do you what do you make of that quote? And as you wait here to see what's coming here between now and March, what what does it mean to hear him say that? What do you think about how this next couple months is going to play out with the Bears and potentially with everybody else? Honestly, I mean, it's a new statement for everybody else. It's not pretty. It's not new for me. I mean, we've been in, been in contact. We've been talking and kind of knowing what what direction we want to go go in. And I think really it's just now a, a waiting game for us to get on the same page to really engage in talks and and to make it happen. But I definitely know where he stands with me and he knows where I stand with the organization and what I want and the value and all those type of things. I mean, we've been very honest and transparent through the process. So it's now really just a matter of time. I really, I loved how open and honest you were back around the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Like you I mean, your name came up, obviously right. it was hotly discussed. You mentioned that maybe you were even surprised that you didn't wind up getting mm-hmm. moved. And you also kind of talked about, look, Ryan's got a job to do. I value myself as well. Like I get that right. there's two sides of this. How is, how is, I guess, has it changed over that course of time where, you know, whatever's to come or whenever this gets done, there's an understanding of the business side of this. Like, how has your appreciation for that kind of grown here over the last year or so? Um, I think you really don't get a true appreciation until you're the one in it. And I think th- throughout this year, I've been the one in it versus people to tell, oh, yeah, doing this is business is a business. But until you're actually in the fire, you don't, you don't really know how it feels. But I think for me, just being able to learn and grow and mature in the business side of the NFL, I think it's something I've been able to truly appreciate. But I think, too, I mean, nothing nothing changes. You The more you understand it, since the more knowledge, the more you're able to prepare yourself. So I feel like I've been very prepared for my team. They prepare me going into the season of different outcomes, different things that may or may not happen. And then just kind of, you have a feel, I think, too, going going through beginning of the year and then through the um, the trade deadline and going around there, kind of just th- different things. But again, nothing's ever guaranteed. But I think now, just throughout this process, just waiting to waiting really to see. I mean, I'm not really rushing and pressing anything. I mean, what what will come will come. Does it going back to what Ryan said? Like, does does a public show of support, given what the season, what happened during the season, and everything, does that? count for you or is it more of like a action speak louder than words type of thing definitely action speak louder than words I mean I feel like the way you show your top player that you value them I feel like it's to pay them and I think too I mean it's definitely a step in the right direction to publicly acknowledge that but I think at the at the end of the day the ultimate the ultimate gesture is is the contract I would say all right the other hot button issue we got to talk about it's mm-hmm. it's a weird situation for the Chicago Bears right now all right I'm not going to press you too hard on what they should do because <laughs> right. you, I mean, you've been there for Justin Fields his entire career, right. I guess for starters there, what can you say about how he turned it around in the second half of this year and coming back from that injury? What did you see from him with all that noise and all that conversation, the way that he finished the season? I think him just trying to get comfortable, him just being who he is. I think too, you have, you have a lot of people telling you to do this, to try to do that, or be a certain way, or, well, he doesn't throw the ball, he doesn't do all these different things. And I feel like it's always been a game, I think, for him of what he doesn't do. 
And I think really in the back half, he kind of just let all that go and kind of just was comfortable, was confident in just who he is as a quarterback, what he can do. And I think he, we were able to see that. And I think that was the biggest thing that I've always said is the talent is there. I think it's just more so his comfort um, in the offense, comfort in the team and having to trust the, the team, those guys around him. And then also just going out there and being who he is, whether that's throwing the ball for 300 yards or running the ball for 150. I don't think it's, I really don't think it's fair to like ask you what the Bears should do. Like that's mm-hmm. Ryan Poles' job to no figure doubt. out. But what, at the very least, what, what do you think is the vibe in the locker room and in that organization knowing like, hey, we've had Justin here. It could be a number one overall mm-hmm. pick later this spring. Like what, what do you think is the feeling amongst the team about where this might go or, or what might happen? Honestly, I think a lot of it would feel a kind of way. I feel like if he wasn't here with us next year, I think, because I mean, we, you build so much, I feel like, with somebody, you work so hard with somebody, and then I feel like it's one of those things, too, where it's like we don't feel like he's, the, like, the problem. And I think if, in a sense, you get rid of a guy that I think has been the leader since he's gotten the builder and he's took the city of Chicago on his shoulders, and I feel like that's not an easy city to, to take on, especially when you're not winning. So, I mean, just the way he's been able to handle himself as a man in the locker room, I mean, even for me, building a relationship with him as well, he's supported my golf tournament, nonprofit thing. So, I mean, he he's a guy that has good character, a guy that... I feel like everybody draws close to so I feel like you getting rid of getting rid of him I feel like especially what he can do on the field we're able to see the talent that he has so I think I mean for us I think it'll be a hard reset for us to be able to okay take on a new leader somebody coming in running the show now so I mean I I, I think he he's the one personally said it yourself you said it yourself I <laughs> no doubt no there just aren't many more interesting situations right. happening in the NFL heading into this offseason than what's going to happen in Chicago Plenty of time to talk about that, but while you're here, you might as well get some scouting expertise. <laughs> there are two Let's NFC North teams still playing in the playoffs. Yeah. I'm sure that, I assume that stings a little bit, but yeah, you got, yeah. particularly for the Detroit Lions, y'all yeah. played those guys tough. No doubt. What do, you, what do you think about that Lions offense? What do you, what do you, what, I guess, what's your scouting report for them heading into the divisional round of the playoffs? I'm giving other teams a scouting report? Yeah, Absolutely. Ooh. <laughs> I think it really starts with the two-headed monster and um, D-Moore, David Montgomery, and then the Gibbs, the rookie. I think they're they're two very good backs, two very different backs, I think, too. And then I think it really starts with them. I think the offense goes through the running game, the screen game, getting them the ball, trying to get them the ball in space. And also, too, I feel like the where they tear teams up are really, I think, play action passes and throwing the ball in the middle of the field. I think that's kind of golf's sweet spot. I think you see a lot of Amon Ross passes are always being caught across the middle, running across the route. So I think if you can stop the run game and force them to throw the ball kind of like outside the numbers, I think that's where you have a lot of success with them. Last one. I think it's especially interesting. Y'all got Jordan Love in week one. Fact. Then you got him again at the very end of the season. Yeah. Like you played a whole season in between seeing this guy. What do you make of of his growth over the course of the season? What do you make of You've watched a lot of him on tape, I, I'm sure. Just mm-hmm. his growth and and what you see from him as a young quarterback. Honestly, it's crazy to say, but he's looked the exact same the week one when, when we played him. Really? Because, I mean, shoot, we got a very good Jordan Love. It's you, not like we, we, didn't get the, did. we didn't get the struggle of Jordan Love. We got, we got the best version of him. But I think really just throughout the year, you kind of got to find yourself. I think this is his first year to really have opportunities week after week from week one, like you said, to week 18 or week 17 of – going through playing different defenses and things like that. I mean, he's watched us for for a minute, considering how many times we played him and just at least watching film. But I think really just him playing within his frame, I feel like when he plays within himself, when he makes the easy read, the easy passes, and makes the um, the smart decision, I think that's when he has the most success. And then 
of course, you start seeing a few mistakes when you try to force a few things or if it's a little unrattled. So I think really just the confidence and poise and then really just taking what defenses give him. I think he does a really good job at that. And I feel like that can be unappreciated at times. We'll see what happens. And I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out for you, man. But sure. personally, looking forward to seeing a lot more battles between you and your guys against Jordan Love. Yeah. No young young secondary in Chicago, young receiver core in Green Bay. It sounds like a hell of a lot of fun to me. No, I'm looking forward to it. Man, I, I, I hope I hope everything that's coming with your contract, I hope you get everything you deserve. I really appreciate you stopping by, man. It was fun. Yes, sir. Appreciate you. That does it for today's show, but we'll be back Friday. We still have to preview the divisional round of the playoffs, obviously. Texans, Ravens, Packers, 49ers on Saturday. Then Sunday, you've got Buccaneers, Lions, and we wrap the whole thing up with Chiefs, Bills, the Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes showdown. Who's not excited? Let's go. Can't wait. Going to talk to Greg Olson about Packers 49ers. We'll have a preview for every game for you. Whatever pops off in the meantime, it's that time of year where something probably will. We'll have you covered on any hirings, firings, personnel changes, you name it. It'll all be right here. If you haven't already, I'll say it one more time. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to get your podcasts. If you're a YouTube person, we have a channel for that too. Please, please Give us those precious views, those precious clicks and downloads that help us do this whole thing. You know where to find it. You know where we'll be. We'll be here all the way up to the Super Bowl, and we will be back Friday to preview the best weekend on the sports calendar, Divisional Weekend. Can't wait. Can't wait to talk to you again soon. We'll catch you all next time.